Today's episode is brought to you by Nin. Nin is a cutting-edge synthetic nicotine pouch brand that's setting the new standard for nicotine pouches in the U.S. with its lineup of zero tobacco nicotine pouches backed by a management team with a proven track record of success in the nicotine and tobacco industry. Nin aims to revolutionize the nicotine category for businesses and consumers by offering an industry-leading product that's backed by innovative technology, high-impact branding, and category expertise. They are maintaining a new era of nicotine products that take people's lives to the next level beyond the tobacco leaf. The inevitable conclusion is the complete removal of all harmful components of tobacco plants by redefining the customer experience. At NIM, their mission is to help spearhead the evolution away from tobacco and towards smarter nicotine alternatives. NIM comes in a few great flavors like cinnamon, wintergreen, spearmint, coolmint, and citrus chill. All flavors are available in three or six milligram strengths, large 34 millimeter pouches, 20 pouches per can, 5 cans per sleeve, 18 sleeves per case, so 90 cans total. They are the new era of nicotine, the evolution of nicotine. They are nicotine innovated. Think about it, life beyond the leaf, pure nicotine satisfaction. With Nin, you can live life beyond the leaf. There are better ways to enjoy nicotine without tobacco. Zero tobacco. Pure nicotine satisfaction. The real tobacco-free nicotine pouches are with Nin. So go to ninpouches.com. That is N-I-I-N pouches.com. Remember, Nin, live life beyond the leaf. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. two-man power trip of wrestling i'm your host jp john pause with me today is a very special guest former nxt world tag team champion former fcw world heavyweight champion and tag team champion former ovw heavyweight champion and tag team champion he is of course victor aka vic the space lord welcome to the two-man power trip how you doing good man thanks for having me john really appreciate you having me on your show today no problem at all so what are you up to i know you've been uh, doing some podcasting yourself lately yeah, man. I just kind of started that uh, only a couple weeks ago, 
And, um, I mean, really it just kind of came out of nowhere at me. Um, I've been sitting around for the last while, just trying to think of something to do other than wrestling. And it just kind of hit me as an idea one day. And I don't know why, because I don't usually like talking to people. I'd actually stopped <laughs> even doing interviews for other people yeah. for the last couple of months. I think I'd only done one just to promote a show that we had been doing. And uh, I'd actually had a bunch of requests. And like, it was funny, like a few months ago, I'd listened to a couple I did. And I was like, I just feel like I'm boring. Or like, I'm not, I'm not enjoying these interviews or something. Like, it was just weird. And so when I got the idea for it, I was like, why do I have this idea? And I just kind of kept putting it off and putting it off. And it just wouldn't leave me alone. I'd just be sitting there in the morning, just like getting ideas for this, for a podcast. And I was like, why, why does this keep happening? And, um, basically it just finally came to me of like, how do I even make this different than what everybody else does with wrestling podcasts more or less? Like, I don't really, I don't have an opinion much on like the current product of things. Like I don't watch a lot. I mostly just follow what my friends kind of do on social media and stuff. And I see what the companies are kind of putting out there for everything. But I like, I myself, I'm not as immersed in everything. So I kind of figured, well, I know a lot of stories from people that I don't think have been told, like, especially a lot of the people that have been through developmental and I've met a lot of people kind of within entertainment, like within the music business and like seeing certain guys transition into acting and stuff like that. And so I kind of wanted to make an open platform for basically all of my friends to kind of be able to like talk about what they've gone through in their lives, whether it be developmental, how that affected them going from NXT to the main roster or from now being released from WWE and having to find your way, you know what I mean, in the rest of the world of wrestling nowadays because it's all changed so much. And just with everything going on, I was like, I think I actually have the possibility to do this. Like usually when I sit down and like talk to my friends and we really, really talk, um, I feel like I get to see a different side of them. They get to see a different side of me that most people don't see on camera. Like a lot of these people I think that I want to talk to aren't people that have ever had the, you know, 24 seven documentaries done on them or things like that. And there's a lot of stories I think about people who've kind of been hired or come into wrestling or gotten into WWE or just into wrestling. And it's not really what you expect it to be, you know, like when you're a hopeful young kid, who just wants to go follow your dream and live your dream in wrestling. And then you kind of get there and you're like, holy shit, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And like, even for me, when I started wrestling back in 2000, like or actually at the very end of 99, that was when they had, you know, Mick Foley had done um, a couple of his books already, I think. And like um, wrestling with shadows had come out and, you know, all that other stuff. And so that kind of, in a way at the time I thought was preparing me for what I was about to go through, but the whole system <laughs> completely changed right after all of that, you know, like 2000 and on like that, then all of a sudden we had tough enough and all sorts of other stuff. The internet started to get big with everything and it just changed the whole landscape. Like it's funny now when I think back about when I was just trying to have matches transferred from VHS tape to YouTube or you know, even just onto disc and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was, it was next to impossible for me to get done back then. And now it's just so much easier. Everything's out there. We can all do it. So you know. wrestling with the struggle. Yeah. So pretty good name. I felt so. I kind of sat on it for a while because, <laughs> and I had just said this actually when I uh, interviewed Steve Macklin, cause he brought up uh, Angelo Dawkins 
who I had actually lived with for, I can't remember if it was a couple of years or what, but it was just before um, I got called up to the main roster. And uh, he used to always just say the most ridiculous things uh, when him, me and Breeze would live together. And he would always talk about struggling. And there was honestly nothing we could see him struggling with other than staying awake at the performance center and trying not to mess something up. But he had such a great attitude that it didn't ever really seem like he was struggling. So when uh, it was kind of weird because the name just popped into my head kind of right away as well. Like I didn't really play around with too many, but that just kind of came to me. And I said, yeah, I think this is, I think this is it. I think this is what I want to do. And I only asked maybe like a couple friends is like, Hey, what do you think of this? And they just went, I really like the idea. I think it's a good, you know, a good thing to do. Um, so I'm just rolling with it now. It's funny. Steve Macklin interviewed him not too long ago, fellow Jersey guy, you know? Yeah, so yeah. he's like, Oh, I'm from Rutherford. I'm like, Oh, interesting. So his best friend, his, uh, his sister, I went to college with and I knew her so a great friend knew her so well. I'm like, wow, what a small world. So I was like, oh my yeah. God, you know, you know, you know him. Holy crap. Like yeah. just so weird thinking about it. Like, you should think, oh, New Jersey. Yeah, oh yeah, everybody knows each other. I was like, no, actually, I know I know that guy. It's like, oh, I was friends with his sister. Like, interesting. So I was like, wow, fellow New <laughs> Jersey guys, you gotta stick together. Yeah. Well, it seems that way. Like, even because yeah. I can remember like DeMott was from Jersey, and so all the Jersey guys, you know what I mean, that would come in, yeah. they all seem to like know Bill. <laughs> yeah seems to go that way i don't know why yeah, it's a big yeah. it's a big state but i guess not yeah big yeah that's for sure i think the first time i remember seeing you i heard the name from like canada independence but first time was ring of honor in the mid-2000s like you're wrestling samoa joe i was like apocalypse yeah. is he really from calgary alberta canada i was like and immediately the stock goes up calgary alberta you know as yeah. soon as the announcer says it i was like wow apocalypse samoa joe pretty damn good match yeah, I'll be a, uh, a little bit shorter, but it was very good. Thank you. I'd actually, me and Connor were just talking about that uh, this weekend. I can't remember why we were talking about that actually, but it came up for some reason. So I'd actually just been thinking about that. And um, I know it wasn't Jersey, but it was New York, so it was you know, not too far away. Yeah, that one was yeah. in Long Island. Um, I, you know, that was such a big deal for me because I'd actually. So I was friends with uh, Brian. We'd known each other actually since around nine eleven. Um, he had. Um, or we had all gone out to work at ECCW uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia way back then. And <laughs> I went out with a buddy of mine, uh, Dave Swift. And I think the first show we did for them, Dave wound up with this uh, just smaller kid. And Dave was just like a machine. He was like a smaller version of Triple H basically uh, back in the day. And he beat the crap out of this kid. <laughs> the kid didn't even know what to do with Dave. And I think the next time we came back to the show, uh, the promoter must have gone, hey, we need somebody to stand up to this guy. <laughs> and so they put him in with Brian, and Brian beat the ever-loving crap out of him. And I can remember we'd be sitting there watching the match back because, you know, this was back we used to film film our matches on, uh, yeah. you know, handy cams and stuff like that. And we'd be sitting there watching that match like every morning days after and he would just be like dude what the hell is going on here and he would just be freaking out constantly about how bad brian beat the crap out of him <laughs> <laughs> and uh i just sit there and laugh because i was like man it's funny that somebody a little bit smaller than you really took it to you you know what i mean so underrated how tough he is 
a year uh, from uh, I talked to Frank Trigg not that long ago. He said he was rolling with him. He's like, the, you know, he beats me, beat me up a little bit in practice. Joe Louis, I mean, he's a tough bastard. Yeah, I, I mean, the guy's spent his whole life being a professional. Like he's wrestling, wrestling, wrestling nonstop. Like, and it wasn't just professional wrestling. He did all the amateur stuff, and you know, learned a bunch of other stuff. And he just was one of those guys who was always learning and improving himself. And guys like that, you just you can't stop him. You really can't. That's that's awesome. I'm so happy to see where he is now. You know what I mean? I was there uh, when he got the bad concussion. And he was out for so ever, and I kind of I knew what was going on with him there. So I'm, you know, I'm just very happy to see how things are going for him. You know, it gives hope to a lot of people, especially you know WWE. They kind of put a lot of guys, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all, but like a lot of guys kind of got sidelined just because of the dangers of concussions. So. You know, like Corey Graves, I was there, I think, watching every single time he got concussed before, you know, they had to stop him. And, uh, you know, just when you see things like that from guys who are so passionate about what they do, it's really hard to take, especially when you know them and you know them really well. And, like, I, you know, spending time on the road with guys like that, like, like I said, I'd known Brian since 9-11. And then, like, I was in Japan for a tour with them. We went over to England together um, and we were – practically attached at the hip there for about six weeks and so then that's kind of what eventually led back to uh me being an roh was because uh, i'd been i'd finally gotten my citizenship uh for the united states and so i was just kind of trying to look for a place to break in and i was like dude could you just give me a place you know what i mean maybe send some stuff to you or whatever and uh, he goes well actually i just started or i'm starting to train people at the uh our ring of honor camp in Philadelphia. He's like, so if you want, come stay with me for a while and uh, we can see what we can do for you. So that's kind of even what led into me getting that match with Samoa Joe is I'd had a couple uh, matches that were probably less than spectacular. They were okay, but nothing, nothing too great. And then, um, yeah, that, that was the last one before I had to go home. And uh, luckily I'd kind of gotten to know Joe over the few shows we'd been at. And he's like, we're going to have a good match. Don't worry. And so just thinking about it again now, I was like, man, that's still a really cool match. I'm really proud of that one. And he's like yeah, the godfather of, of ROH, really. And he put him on the map early, early on. Yeah, Did that mean that they were going to do something with you or, or what happened there? Uh, so they wanted to, uh, but the problem was that I was still in Canada. And so actually it was kind of funny because I probably didn't speak to Gabe. Oh, man. It was for probably about 10 years after that. Um, I think the next offer I'd ever gotten from him was to do something, I think when they were starting Evolve, and it was right at the same time um, I'd had my first WWE tryout down in Florida, and I was honestly broke. Like, I was so broke. I was basically about to go home uh, back to Louisville at the time, and I had to move uh, from one place to another place because I didn't have money to pay rent anymore. And one of my buddies, um, uh, Ollie Akbar from OVW, he was kind enough to take me in and uh, help me out for a bit. So when I actually, I think it was actually by the time I was, oh, I was NXT champion by the time I actually saw Gabe again. Um, we went to an Evolve show, me and Xavier Woods, because uh, we went to see Trent after his release work on uh, Evolve. And he came running up to me and he was just like, dude, so good to see you. I haven't seen you forever. And I was like, yeah, man, like, you know, it's so good to see you. And we were just chatting and he said, you know, I'm really sorry. We never, you know, could bring you back in. Uh, but just being in Canada, we didn't have the money at the time. And I said, Gabe, 
I'm like, it's not a big deal. I wasn't like I was pissed or something. I'm so thankful that I ever got that opportunity. And obviously everything worked out for the better anyway. <laughs> so, right. you know, one way or another. So it was good. And I've, you know, I've talked to Gabe a few times since then, because once he got uh, hired on with NXT and everything, I'd see him on the road here and there and, you know, we'd get together and it was always good. He was really cool. And he was good to me too, for while we were on those shows. Like I've always been disappointed. I wasn't able to get in with ring of honor more because it's such a great company and everything. And then seeing what's going on now, I'm just like, oh man, don't go away. Please let's not lose ring of honor. Like right. we, we need that company. That's all I can say. <laughs> Like, yeah, hopefully they can come back. I do hope so. That's for sure. I just feel like they're such a backbone for everything that we get in professional wrestling that it's just, even if they're not the biggest stage, I feel like they really set the stage for everything. And I think a lot of people look at them, I don't know, in more of a much serious manner than, I don't know, maybe the everyday fan takes them to be. Yep. Agreed. So when you kind of first are starting out, obviously Canada, how do you end up in New Japan? Because I know you had a, a small run in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, I did one tour. Uh, unfortunately, only one tour, which is still one of the highlights to this day of my career. But uh, so in Calgary, we had a actually a New Japan scout who I can't remember the exact year, but back, way back in Stampede Wrestling, I was probably in the 70s, I think. Um but it was a man named Tokyo Joe and he had, he had been wrestling around the world forever. And he had come out to stampede, uh, to work for Stu, I think only for like a few months type of thing. And then he was supposed to finally go back home after being gone for years. Um, but then they were doing a show in the winter time and, um, they gotten like their car drove off the road. And so him, and I think Muck and Singh, and i think one of the sheep herders might have been bushwhacker luke i can't remember which one of them um they were kind of pushing the car back out of the ditch and a car was coming up behind them and lost control and so the like my trainer tokyo joe was in the middle and the other two guys managed to get out of the way but he got pinned in between the two cars and wound up losing like half of one of his legs basically but so for him to get his medical benefits he had to stay in Canada and he could never really go back to Japan. So he became kind of a scout uh, and a trainer in New Japan would send him guys from there, um, come and train in Calgary for short periods of time. And then when I had started at the dungeon, he would kind of come in like, he was mostly checking out the kids. Like he was checking out Ted and uh, Harry and uh, TJ, but Ted was kind of too Ted to train in that much of a discipline, yes. <laughs> you know, uh, cause yeah. it was, he was very disciplined and very regimented and he would tell Ted all the time, you have all the talent, but you have no discipline. And Ted would go, yeah, pretty much. So it wasn't like, you know, there was a negative thing there or anything. Cause Ted would still come work with us from time to time. But, um, so there was, yeah, uh, myself, TJ, Dave Swift, uh, and Harry were kind of all, the main guys at first. And so that was basically how I got to new Japan was, um, you know, TJ had gone, Dave had gone, I went and then Harry went. So that was kind of how it was. Like we had trained, Oh boy, on and off with him for about three years. And I th I don't think it had been that long by the time I went to new Japan, but I remember telling like Maccabe, he was like, how long have you trained with Tokyo Joe? And I think at that time it had already been over a year something like that and he was just like 
oh like you couldn't believe it his because joe is ruthless to those guys and to be fair i had probably my scariest training day ever with him too where he choked out dave swift one day in front of me just to show us what it was like um and i was like oh this is this is scary shit here but like he was you know he was like our mr miyagi more or less and uh he gave me gave me tools and skills i still use to this day both both up here and in the ring so now were you the last or one of the last graduates of the heart dungeon and and which one of the hearts does the training i mean or is it not even the hearts uh no so when i was there it was the hearts it was mainly bruce uh it was bruce and ross and um bruce was mainly the one that did the majority of the training uh for everybody and ran the shows in stampede um so i'm pretty much the last one um johnny divine is still out there um i think he runs a school now actually in calgary uh like somebody just told oh it was the bollywood boys i think were just out there and they told me that uh he's he's running something out there and then there was uh randy myers also i think he's one of the other last ones who came after me and he's now on the west coast and he does some stuff for defy i think he's a defy wrestling champion actually (laughs) saying just saying he does some stuff probably doesn't do him justice because he's come a long way as well and he was a guy he trained with tokyo joe for a while as well um but yeah i'm i mean we're the last ones pretty much so there's not uh and if I'm missing anybody out there, I'm I'm ashamed of myself for saying it, but I don't think there is. So that gives you a huge clout, though, especially like okay, you get to put in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I know it was one door, but still, mm-hmm. then it's like, oh yeah, where are you from? Oh, from the Heart Dungeon, from the Dungeon. Oh, like, you know oh, what yeah. I mean? That, that that's a whole another level of respect. I think just even as a fan thinking about it, it's like, holy shit, Heart Dungeon. Damn. It, yeah, it used to feel that way. Um, that's Dang. for sure. I know. Well, I just don't think about it as much anymore. Um, sadly enough i guess because like when i got to wwe they told me i wasn't really allowed to say it so i was Why just like that? i'm not exactly sure i'm not too sure if it had to do with like the benoit stuff stigma or or whatever it was but like we used to um kind of always pitch it like this is one of my things basically like because that's a thing in wrestling you know what i mean that's what i came up watching like everybody else that came from the dungeon it was just kind of a given like you hear somebody's from calgary and you're like that guy can work that guy's gonna be a good wrestler yeah it's almost automatic yeah yeah, when i got to fcw they were just like nope we're not letting you say that anymore and i was like oh well thanks and i think even regal said it one time on nxt and they told him to quit saying it and so i never really got a definitive answer as to why they just told me to drop it and so i said fine I don't, I don't need to keep trying to jam it down your throat if you don't want to accept what I am. <laughs> to the fan, though, it's such an easy storytelling thing. It's automatically like, okay, Heart Dungeon, whoa, like your ears perk up. You're like, shit, this guy's from the Heart Dungeon. Okay, I'm going to start paying attention to this guy. I mean, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because we used to say the same thing because by the time uh, I was signed to FCW, Natty and Harry and TJ were all on the main roster. And that was one of the things we used to pitch was just like, hey, I've, we've got like a feud. We've got a built-in feud right here, just me and these three people. And uh, I was always told, just drop it, just drop it. So it's one of those many things I don't have an answer for. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. 
strange, uh, strange world to live in because you think about who came out of the heart dungeon. Holy crap. I mean, I yeah. went through the list one day and I was just like, oh my God, it is like a mile long. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. obviously, besides Brett Owen, Bulldog, Dynamite, things like Abdul the Butcher, Superstar Billy Graham. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Hiroshi yeah, Hase, yeah. who was a legend in Japan. It's like all yeah. these awesome guys. It goes on and on. Pilmer, oh, yeah. Benoit, Jericho, yeah. Lance Storm, just incredible. Liger. Yeah. yeah. Like, holy crap. Oh, it's yeah. insane. Yeah, there's just hundreds and hundreds of guys that did it. And to be fair, like it gave me a lot of credit when I would go somewhere. Like even when I went over to England for the first time um, back in like 2005, 2006, somewhere around there, they didn't like a lot of uh, foreigners always coming over and taking work is kind of how I was told, like even before I got there. And then once I started meeting the guys and talking to them and even a lot of the veterans that were there, I never had any issues. <laughs> they were all pretty cool with me. So, you know, it, uh, I felt like it always went a long way until I got to FCW. And then it was just like, nah, what you are doesn't matter anymore. So, mm. but I don't know, it was one of those things like Dr. Tom used to kind of say to me, like, they're going to change you from what you are and you're going to wind up right back to where you began in the first place. So he, he was like, don't worry about it. But that was the one thing that never kind of came back. So, <laughs> nice. Hey, yeah. do a show, Doc Tom. I talked to him all the time. I was talking to him last week. He said oh, nice. at WrestleCade, he mm -hmm. was like, I can't believe all the young guys that I think of as like little kids. He's like, they're all like getting older and doing the convention scene. He goes, I must be really old then. I mean, he looks great. He looks better now than he did, I think, the last couple times I saw him. Like, yeah. you know, and it's been a few years. So he did make that joke and, it, you know, it stuck. Um, I think a lot of us do feel a little bit older now as we look at the world of wrestling and the way it's changing. And now that we're all doing these conventions and stuff, uh, it is funny, you know, to think that like, oh man, we are the kind of the old guys now, but none of us look that old yet, thankfully. And yeah. uh, I, I know I only feel old you know, like half the time. So. <laughs> but yeah, getting to see him was awesome. He's one that I want to have on my show pretty soon uh, just to have a talk, talk with because he's somebody that can really... He can enunciate the struggle of professional wrestling like nobody else in this business. He knows, yeah. Oh, yeah. He knows a thing or two, yeah. Uh, definitely, yeah. One thing that's interesting, too, he, he was saying something like, he's like, oh, Fandango, you know, he looks great. And he's like, I didn't realize, you know, he's, well, I guess he's almost 40. He's like, I didn't realize that and that he was in WB 15 years ago. Time <laughs> flew by so fast. It's like, oh, my God, you were in WB 15 years? And he's like, it's just snapping. Yeah. You know, he's gone. It's like, wow, it's crazy. Yeah. That's for sure. I mean, he's another one of those guys that just has like the story of, you know, coming from living in his car to eventually getting signed because like all the guys were saying like, Hey, we work with this guy. He's a great worker. Like you, should, you guys should hire him, hire him. Like he needs a job. And I don't think Johnny Ace wanted to hire him at first. And it took a lot of uh, work to get there. And then, you know, he spent a bunch of time in developmental. Uh, he went through that whole, what was it? NXT season two or something like that, where, you know, he won and just got left painting himself in a corner as far as i remember when the guy was obviously far more talented than that and you know just one of those guys that would always always seem to have the rug pulled out from under him somehow for some reason and uh, that's one i'll never understand like even when those guys got released i had actually they had had a thing on the network probably like two weeks before where they were going through all the like the greatest wwf or e tag teams of all times and I'd watched a little bit of it and I had laughed and said to myself, these guys are made for life. And then two weeks later they got released and I was like, what the hell? I'm, I was just like, I don't know what this company is thinking anymore. 
So it's crazy. That's like Bray Wyatt. You see that he's like the number two. A merchandise seller behind Reigns, and it's been like yeah. consistent like that for like a couple of years. And oh, all of a sudden, yeah. like Bray Wyatt's gone. It's like a uh, guy that sells merch should never be gone because they're <sighs> selling merch. Like I don't yeah. know. Sometimes, especially with Bray Wyatt, like, to me, I was like, wow, that made no sense. What the hell are they doing? Yeah, there's a lot of it that doesn't make any sense. But as Doctor Tom used to tell us, that's how it makes sense. So, and I've heard Bruce Pritchard say the same thing on his show before too. Like when he's talking about all the old stuff and he just said, oh, that's how it makes sense. Cause absolutely none of this makes sense. That's the only way you can kind of justify it, I guess. Quite uh, prophetic there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, most of the time, like so many times within that company, people are always throwing their hands up about something. Just being like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand. You think, oh, that's why. Cause there's no other reason for it really. Not that we can see. The basic logic doesn't seem to sort it out. and We don't always know what goes on back there. So, I've heard Vince McMahon, who, I mean, who knows if it's true or not, but I've heard people say that he has said, oh, nobody will remember that anyway. Like, he like he must have forgot, so he's like, no, nah, nobody else will remember it. Probably, yeah. Dean Malenko used to kind of tell us, like, funny little things like that sometimes about stuff, or it would be like... Or Dean would say, like, hey, Vince, we've got this happening a couple times on the show. And Vince would say, well, I guess it's a great night for that on the show then, isn't it? <sighs> like, that was kind of it. Dean would just go, all right. Well, that's how you see it. Cool. I remember Arn was saying something to him, and he told me, he's like, something about logic. Like, oh, that's not logical or something. He's like, it doesn't need to be logical or something. But it didn't make wrestling sense. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I know, you know, in wrestling, you know, even going off the ropes might not make sense. He's like, we're trying to be logical here. And Vince, the owner, the boss, is going, well, it doesn't need to be logical. It's like weird kind of a thought process. There is. There's a lot of weird thought processes that go on back there that I'll never understand. Um and I just, I gave up trying to a long time ago because it just, it, you'll go crazy trying to figure it out. You know, just Vince is Vince and he does what he wants to do and he does what he sees best for the company. So he has his own, he's got his own logic and reasons. And I mean, it's not like it's done him wrong. He's very successful. He's got the biggest company in the world, provided provided the world with hundreds of wrestling talents, <laughs> especially nowadays. So, yep. You know, he's doing something right. So even if it doesn't make sense to us, people are still watching and tuning in and buying all the products. So, yeah. I mean, who's to say he's wrong in what he does? What are your thoughts on Johnny Ace? He's been there for 20 years now. What do you think about Johnny Ace? I know that's kind of a little bit of a loaded question, uh, but what no, you, did, did you like Ace? Did you get along with him? I did. Um, once I worked there, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when I was trying to get hired, I did not like him. Um but I didn't know how to take them. I think I was actually telling uh, Connor this over the weekend because the Johnny Ace that I first met when um, I was trying to get hired was not the same guy as I knew as a producer once I was hired. Um, and it was just very strange. And I could never, like I was even telling Connor that I go, I just can't figure it out because it was like completely two different people. Um, and it wasn't like the first one I met was like a dick or something like that. He just seemed it's just very kind of full of himself at the time. Like one of his favorite lines when we were extras in the back um, was like, Oh, you kids probably don't even know who I am. I was only ever over in Japan. It wasn't even really over there. How did I, how did I ever get to be Vince's right hand man? Doesn't make sense. But here I am. You know, it, <laughs> like you'd say, I heard him say that almost every time I was an extra and I was like, okay, whatever, Johnny. Like I never thought about it. I didn't know why. Um, and even then when he hired me, it was, I'm still amazed that I got hired that day. Cause it felt like I was in a boxing match, um, and getting my lights knocked out. And then I, 
had just said, um, no, I don't, I don't think you want to hire me. And I don't think there's anything, you know, that, that I can say to make you hire me. And then he hired me. So, I mean, that was odd. And, um, but working with him on the road, like he was a great producer. Um, he helped us out a lot. Anytime he was producing one of our matches, we had great matches. Um, he was so, he was actually a lot of fun to work with. Uh, he was always very upbeat. Like he was very much like kind of the people power person that you saw, but without being a jerk about it type of thing. Like he was just always like in a good mood. He always wanted to see like whoever he was working with that day have awesome matches. Um, I can even remember one day we were working with uh, primetime players and Road Dog was telling him like, nah, this ain't going to work. This There's something that, you know, he wanted to be done. And even we were like a little skeptical about it. But Johnny was like, nope, we're going to be able to do this. And you just watch. You watch and see. And sure enough, we all we pulled it off without a hitch. It was great. And, um, like, that kind of stuff was really, you know, it was awesome to be able to, like, see that side of him. Because even when I first got hired, when we were first in FCW, it was really much an island on its own. And those guys didn't come down a lot. And so when he would come down and they would kind of just do speeches every now and then and you'd do a little showcase for them. Or like at the time I wasn't even being showcased yet or anything like that. So I'd just be sitting there and you'd just kind of wait to like ask a question so that you'd hope he'd remember that you're there. And so I, you know, I didn't really get to know him until I was on the road and you know, anytime I spent time with him, he was, he was really awesome. So I, I hope that's the kind of Johnny that we still got now um, moving forward with being back in that position again in the company. So. It's funny he makes that joke. Oh, nobody knows who I am. But the perception of him, like from when you talk to guys in the business, like a Doctor Tom or like other guys behind the scenes, is that he's a great producer, really maybe is. one of the best that they had for years. And mm-hmm. people may not realize it, but perception of of like probably Vince and Doctor Tom and Bruce and all those guys probably like this guy knows his wrestling. Like, this guy knows his shit. Oh yeah, he really does. Like and like that's a funny thing. Like whenever I used to watch like his stuff from Japan or whatever, um, like I was always like, oh, he's you know obviously a good worker but like when he would produce stuff like he really he went an extra mile like him probably him and double a were two of my favorite uh producers just for stuff like that because they always had ideas for everybody uh, and they were always trying to bring out the best that they could and everybody you know not saying that the other producers don't but like those two guys just i felt like they really knew kind of their the talent that they were working with better than other people um, they wouldn't just like, cause I've had it where like certain producers, they have ideas in their head, but it's a met type of match that they would work. And that's not always how it goes. You know what I mean? Cause it's yeah. how, how, the, how they might be, isn't how you work. And so sometimes it just doesn't work out that way as to where those two guys specifically, they kind of really took into account, like every moving piece, how they were and just how to put it all together properly. And they're great. Okay. I could never say I had any complaints about Johnny Ace or, you know, especially any of my producers mainly on the road. But, yeah, Johnny was always great. When he hired you, is that when he sends you to OVW first? No, he sent me to FCW. Um, so by the time I got hired, I'd already been – I'd been at OVW for about three years. And then oh, I did non-contract. Fire. Yeah. And okay. that, yeah, so I was kind of like DCW is what I originally was there because when I first got there, it was uh, City. Yeah. yeah, it was April or May of like 2007, and so they had everybody kind of divided. Um, there was Rips class who were non-contract, and then there was the contract people. And you would occasionally you could kind of 
work your way into, you know, try to do an enhancement match or something like that on the OVW show or have Al, uh, Al Snow kind of notice you or Danny Davis. And so it took me a little bit of time. And right as I started to get on the show, that was when WWE pulled out from OVW and they moved everything down to Florida. And so I think I stayed at OVW for about another two years. And at the end of that was, I finally got a tryout. Um, thanks to, uh, basically TJ and Natty and Harry and Dr. Tom all kind of pulling for me, but then they didn't hire me. And so then I went home for a year and was just kind of Canadian Indies. I mean, man, they're brutal. Cause they were just, you know, not that the shows weren't good, but they were just far apart. Um, Canada's so, so wide open. Like I, yep. you know, the closest show we could do was three hours away and, you know, you'd get one a month. Um, and then, like we would be traveling out to Winnipeg and stuff like that, which was like a 12 hour drive and you'd be doing that once a month. And so it just started to be like, Oh man, I was, I remember I was like turning 30. I think I had just lost like a good job that i had had because, um, they wanted to send me out of the province to go to work. And I was like, well, I've got an extra, some extra work coming up. And I was like, this is kind of my last shot. And so, yeah, I did a couple days uh, for Raw and SmackDown. And it was funny because before as an extra, I was always so nervous. Like I didn't know people. Um, so I'd just be terrified backstage trying to mind my manners. And that day, I remember it in Calgary, um, went to the office and I was talking with Cone and um, filling out my paperwork. And everybody that just kept coming through was just like, oh, hey, APOC. Oh, you're here. Oh, sweet man. Like, and it was just funny. Like all the other guys were like, man, you like know everybody here. And I was like, weird. I do. So it was, you know, it was pretty yeah. cool. You know, I was pretty surprised, uh, at just the change and everything. Cause it, it had felt like forever since I'd been, been there. And like, I'd been an extra a few times on the road and, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever feel like I'd got to know that many people, but by that time I was just like, Oh wow. I, I know a lot of people. With FCW, obviously, you, know, you got Dusty and Kern and Dr. Tom and eventually Norman and Kidman and a bunch of other guys, right, as the, as far as the trainers are concerned? Uh, yeah, Kidman wasn't so much of a trainer by the time I got there. He was already, like, up on the road doing a timekeeper. And so he would kind of only come back um, for just for TVs when we would do the FCW TV tapings. And he would come back and kind of give people critiques and stuff like that. But he wasn't so much of a trainer. But there was Doc, Steve Kern, Norman Smiley. Uh, and my, oh, and then we had Ricky Steamboat a lot at that time too, oh, which was, nice. yeah, that was pretty awesome. I, you know, I really, that was like a dream come true was getting to work, you know, with all of those guys and to learn from Ricky. Um, so that was super cool. And then after a while, things started to change uh, after Doc got let go. You know, that was when they brought in Bill and... Yep. Then after Bill came in, they started to, they would do guest coaches a lot. Like, so they had Saturn come in for a while. Um, they would have uh, Afa come in for a while. Um, and then Terry Taylor came in for a while. And then Billy Gunn came in for a while. And eventually Billy and Terry both stayed. So, <laughs> you know. How was, was, how was, was Terry cool. Taylor? Terry Taylor is an experience. <laughs> oh, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love Terry Taylor. Um, I'm actually pretty thankful for my time with him because when we used to, he was somebody I felt I could argue with um, objectively and we'd get mad at each other and then we'd usually come back and work things out. And I just felt like it made, 
kind of us um, better in the long run. Because like I think too, when Terry first came in, he was still from a very old school mentality. So there was even like one match, um, one of the first matches he was ever producing for me. I think I had, I know I had Ivelisse with me. I can't remember if both Paige and Ivelisse were with me at the time, but Ivelisse was with me. And I was working Richie Steamboat. I can't remember if he had somebody with him or not, but I just remember like, Terry wanted us to do a bunch of stuff where like Ivelisse would get run over or like hit or something like that. And I was like, Terry, we cannot touch the girls. <laughs> and he was like, why not? And he had all this other stuff that like, just I had already been there for a little bit to know like, hey, this is all the things you're not allowed to do because they would tell us that more often than not. Like, don't do this. Like, okay. And so I kind of had to keep telling him all of these things and then he would get pissed off at me and he'd go to talk to somebody else in the office and then come back and be like, all right, well, so I guess we can't do any of that. Uh, <laughs> right. And, you know, so it was like a struggle for him too. Cause like he was, he was learning the new system, the new process of everything. And like over the years, like we worked together, man, cause from the time he got there until, you know, we left NXT, which was probably two or three years. Um, like I had a really good relationship with him. I used to always love seeing him at WrestleMania again. And like I can remember the first time uh, when we did the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, they had Terry. Oh, there we are. Still there? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, they had Terry sitting at the bottom of the ramp telling everybody which way to go. And it was just like, hey, Terry, how you doing? You know, it was, it was always good to see him. So, but he's a. Uh, He's a character himself. And like, I think I appreciate that. Like, it was really funny. I used to have a Red Rooster poster on my wall when I was a kid Whoa. because I loved the Red Rooster when I first saw him on WWF television. And for some reason, I was just, I thought it was awesome. You're one of the handful. Yes. Yeah. So me and, me and my friends joked about that a lot after they were like, hey, you said you trained with him a lot. And I was like, yep, that I did. Whew. Something I can't else. believe you like that gimmick. Wow. I mean, I was young at the time. I think I just thought it was funny. Um, there was just something about it. Like, it was just one of those silly things where you're like, the guy's not a bad wrestler, you know? And I yeah, that's so the first thing, you know. It's like, this guy's pretty good. I don't know about this Red Rooster thing. But uh, yeah. So, and hearing hearing him tell the story of it all and everything kind of puts it, puts it together. And I've heard enough stories about Terry Taylor from everything else to uh, kind of figure it out. I know, like, it was funny because it probably wasn't, till much much later when i finally saw a match where he was um the tailor-made man against bobby eaton on like a wcw pay-per-view and i was just like holy shit this is a match i was like this is my favorite terry taylor match ever and it still is to this day he's so he's like he's very animated and very good in that and he when i brought it up to him he'd always say it was just bobby he goes, that's just Bobby. And I was like, no, Terry, you do a ton of stuff in that match. That's like awesome to see. Like you were just a ass over tea kettle heel, like just crazy. Like all the stuff, like he was taking crazy bumps, just doing silly stuff, but it was still a really good match. So. Yeah. He was really, really good. Taylor made man, obviously a bit of a million dollar man ripple, but still he yeah. was great uh, <laughs> wrestling wise, but him in mid South, if you go back to mid South, yeah, and he had some too. great ones. I remember him, him and Flair even had some great ones. Oh yeah. Well, that was his favorite. That was his, uh, you know, inspiration in wrestling was flair. So yep. makes sense. Yeah. I don't still don't know about that red rooster. I still don't like that <laughs> Remember when he first was a heel and he was oh, a yeah. red rooster? And then there was a baby yep. face red rooster. I, like, yep. I don't know. Like, oh, especially if you look at him and you know it's like, wow, he's a really good wrestler. And then it's like, 
why are you giving him that gimmick? Why, Vince? Yeah, I mean, that was just, that was the era. Everybody had a silly gimmick yeah. back then, you know? It had to be something, like, from Salvatore Sincere to Duke the Dumpster DeRoche, like, yeah. everybody. So. Even Dusty had the polka dots. I know, right? Yeah. So, it's it's funny how it all works out. It's It's a wacky world of wrestling. Yeah. So, in FCW, obviously, they make the move to NXT. Triple H is really cements himself as in charge. They're rebranding the whole thing, the performance center. What did you think? Like what's going through your mind here? Like, wow, we got like an NFL facility combined with a little WCW power plant going on. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was really cool at the time. Um, geez, just thinking back about it. It was really overwhelming. And then it was really draining because they were working us to the bone constantly because they would always have these media days. And so everybody would have to show up in gear and all the advanced guys would just you'd be going full tilt like all day. Just like the minute people started rolling through, it was like, okay, full on training matches, all sorts of stuff. And so that got to be a little bit much sometimes where we were just like, oh my God, I'll go back to the other building where people don't come through and we can just do our regular classes again. But, uh, I mean, it was awesome because such an upgrade and we were just, it was just had so many more things to take care of us and to, you know, make life easier and just to kind of just have, I mean, you didn't feel like you were on, on an island anymore that people weren't watching. You knew you were always being watched. Um, we knew Triple H had a, had one of the cameras directly like into the performance center in his office. Um, wow. Yeah. So, and we were... We were told that all the time. Like, it's funny, kind of back in the days, you would hear stories of like, oh, they have hidden cameras or microphones somewhere. Well, there wasn't any need to hide anything in the performance center. They were all right there. You could see where everything was. So, like, it was awesome for what it was because it just just gave you that drive for so much more. Um, just like that facility being there, it was like when you went to work every day, you did feel like you were going to a professional football team. You know, you'd roll up to that center, get in there, you'd get ready to work out or you'd get ready to train or you'd get ready to, you know, do your study type of thing, but you knew what you were going to do. And you knew that like today wasn't a day that was going to be looked over like every day there pretty much well mattered. So it was just awesome for that fact. And just watching where NXT went like consistently after that, I know it was funny because I can remember Joey Mercury came to us in FCW and he was like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if you know, like, NXT started like touring, like not just like little Florida towns, and like actually started going around like the rest of the states, maybe even getting overseas and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, getting a bigger, you know, arena to train in and stuff like that. And we were like, yeah, yeah, that'd be super cool. And then sure enough, six months later, we've got the performance center. And then after the way everything with NXT and the takeovers, they all started traveling, of course right after we went up to the main roster. So, so yeah. we, we missed out on that and we were a little, some days we were a little jealous of things, but I mean, I enjoyed my time on the main roster too. Like I, I know we needed to get out of NXT by the time we got out more or less, like both I'd already been there for five years. I know Connor had been there just for about that long as well, but plus he'd been in deep South before. So it was, we knew it was time for the move. Who came up with the gimmick? Who put you guys together? Like, and the name? Like, who comes up with the collaborative effort? Is that them? Is that you? Uh, none of it was me. I can say that hundred percent. Uh, it was actually Ricardo Rodriguez that came up with the whole Ascension gimmick, um, and it started with him, 
um, Orlando Cologne. Raquel, uh, I think. Yeah, Raquel, Tom Latimer, and then Connor. And um, when Dream saw it, he just kind of went, I like this idea. I want I want to run with it. It's like True Blood. It's like, it's like vampires. And that wasn't kind of how it appeared, I think, at first, but that was just how Dusty took it. And so then those guys ran with it. But then I think Ricardo had been hurt, but I think then he had gone back up on the road. So he kind of got, you know, separated from it. And then they just had the four of them doing it. And then a bunch of stuff happened. I think then they pulled Orlando up uh, and put him with Primo. And uh, then I think Connor broke his back actually at one point in time. Uh, I remember watching that match. And he had just taken a spill out of the ring and he hit the floor. This was before they even had mats around the ring at FCW. And so he hit the floor and broke some part in his back and he was out for quite a while. And then they just had Tom and uh, Raquel doing it for a while. And then I think Raquel had some issues uh, and she got let go for a while or she had asked for a release. I can't remember which one. And then Connor came back and then tom got released (laughs) and in all honesty it was funny i'd actually worked with latimer a couple times in that point when um uh connor had had you know was out with his injury and norman smiley always said i see you in ascension and dream would always say i do not see you in ascension and we would always kind of like we'd try to put like promos in front of him sometimes and he just wouldn't bite on it like dream would always just say to me he's like i see you doing something else victor the something else destined for you in in the in this company and it, it ain't ascension and so i guess connor had started growing up doing um the live events and stuff like that and they came back to an nxt and apparently at the tv before that we did this or something uh i think it was when connor was working with big e actually at the time and I guess Norman and Billy Kidman sitting there, you know, at the timekeeper's table watching the match. And Norman had said to Billy, he goes, man, I see Victor teaming with Connor. Uh, I just see him making the Ascension gimmick kind of complete. And Billy, I guess, agreed with them. And apparently, like, Hunter walked up two minutes later or something. He's watching the match and he was like, man, I really like Connor. I really like the Ascension gimmick, but it's like it's missing something. Like, it's just one person. Uh, we really need somebody else for it. And Billy Kidman looked at him. He said, Norman just said to me that we should put Victor in Ascension. And I guess Hunter just kind of like looked at the screen, sat there for a minute. And he was like, I think you guys are right. And so that's kind of how it happened. I know we were filming um, like the bumper intro for NXT. And so we were all filming stuff and Connor had just come back from the road. And so I didn't even know he was there yet, but I had just finished filming like my little segment for the intro. And Chris Chambers all of a sudden pulls me aside and he's like, have you talked to Hunter? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, no, of course I didn't talk to Hunter today. Is he here? He's like, no, no. Uh, but he goes, I guess he wants to just like put you and Connor together and just have a shoot some stuff so he can see what it looks like. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. And more or less it went from there. They stuck us up on a podium together. It's still, I think, one of the original GIFs that I've ever had. Uh, and it's just the camera spinning around the two of us standing there uh, with our arms out in the air screaming or something like that. So what that was, was like the explanation of like 
into putting you guys together obviously you got that story but what's the like the gimmick and the look are they like ah, we want a little bit of like new age road warriors like what was like what do they say about the actual gimmick uh at that point in time just kind of gothic they're like you guys both already have kind of the gothic dark look to it they're like we don't want you guys to be vampires you know kind of like that was the first thing we just kind of want you guys to I don't know. It wasn't even saying like taking it in a new direction because at first they wanted me to be a lot like him. And I mean, after like a month or two of us doing stuff, they wanted him to be more like me. And I was so confused. And I think he was too, because we were just like, we're just doing what we always do. And that was all like, we just naturally kind of meshed the way we did. And like, we just, we've always kind of both been like a very, um, subliminal team like me and him don't always have to talk about things like we're always just kind of on the same page when it comes to being in the ring and like how we look and stuff like that and it was just kind of a no-brainer for us like anytime they would kind of tell us something silly i think we'd usually do something to not do what they said but do what they said and right. see what see what they would say and at that point in time it all just kept working so you guys I, just had natural chemistry yeah, hundred percent. Like I'd always been once I met Connor when I got there. Like I'd been friends with him, you know, the whole time, and I'd always told them I was like, "Dude, I really want in on this gimmick. Like this feels like where I belong." And uh, he was like, "We've tried, you know," and just Dream wasn't having it forever. And then eventually, even there was one day, me and him were cutting a promo for a promo class, and Dream came out and he just went, "Rick Victor, I don't know what it is that you're doing, but just keep doing it." <laughs> I was like huh he goes yep i said i didn't like you in this forever but the more i push they push back and they tell me what you're doing is working now so whatever the fuck it is you're doing you just keep doing it okay baby bye-bye and then he went back into his office and i was like whoa i can't believe dream just said that <laughs> why all right yeah do you think that when they put you guys together are they envisioning road warriors at all because you know you get that kind of vibe a little bit or they're not really thinking that uh, I have no idea what they were thinking and we weren't actually thinking that it was, um, I just said this, Oh, why am I having his name slip my mind now? Uh, well, why am I forgetting his name? But somebody had said it to us at one of the takeovers and I feel really bad that I'm forgetting his name. I just said this not too long ago. Um, but yeah, we had come back after one of our takeover matches and he's a writer too i can't believe i can't remember this um it'll come to me probably after we're done the interview but he was the first one that ever said to us like you guys are like a mix between the road warriors and the rock and roll express and midnight express if they had some sort of weird love baby and we were like hmm, yeah i kind of see that okay i get that but like we had never we never really fashioned ourselves after anybody um so much like we just worked the way we did like we like all sorts of tag team wrestling obviously connor's a powerhouse i'm kind of a technician with a little bit of power to me and we just blended it all together the best we could it wasn't like we were trying to be anybody else uh, we were just trying to be ourselves more or less so interesting uh take yeah rock and roll midnight road wars interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i was like that's that's really cool i like the sounds of that so yeah, not three bad teams to to you know have a love baby of. Yeah, that's for sure. Was it Ryan Katz? No, it's it's um he used to do stuff with uh, TNA. Oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting Matt Conway. 
No, he's an older guy. Um, Bill Banks. No, not Banks. Bill Apter. That's who it is. Bill Apter was the one who said it. Oh, Bill Apter, the old yes. uh, PWI. Okay. Yes, that's who the Apter man. Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you for for triggering that. <laughs> I just talked about that a couple months ago because there was somebody I did an interview with, and uh, they were good friends with him. So I'd actually told that story again. That's why I felt super bad now that I couldn't remember his name. There you go. To me, though, you guys had a little bit of road warriors, obviously, but it was much more like athletic. They were much more like powerhouses, beat the hell. Mm -hmm. But you guys were killing. Did you guys love like the push you're getting? Because you know they bring in too cool. You guys beat uh, too cool. You beat them. I mean, you're killing everybody in the roster. You guys win the tag titles. Like it's you guys are on a hell of a ride. Were you thinking like, okay, this is great. I mean, we've got all the momentum in the world. This is right where I want to be. Uh, no, uh, it never oh, wow. felt it never felt that way to us. Actually, behind the scenes. For us, it was kind of always like a battle. Um, they never really let us think that we were on a roll. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of the times we were kind of asking to do more and it just wasn't there. But like nobody was sharing with what they were going for. Like there wasn't like a direction. Like, and even the day we won the tag titles, they kind of swerved us and they had been telling us a little bit before and then we got there and the sheet said something else and which is hmm. kind of what I expected anyway. And then it still switched again during the course of that day. And even the conversation that we had when we were told we were winning wasn't particularly a good one. Um, I don't know if that was just their way of using a certain type of negative reinforcement to fire you up. But um, like to us, we just... I mean, we always just felt like we were fighting to try to do more or to do something because we didn't feel like we were really succeeding. Um, every now and then we'd get like a good pat on the back and like, oh, you guys are doing good. You guys are doing good. And But I mean, it wasn't even until probably close to the end of our, of our title run that uh, we started to feel that way because there was always pressure on us. Um, yeah, it was weird. There was always pressure on us just – you know, as there is anybody performing, but like, we felt like there was extra pressure on us a lot. It was kind of how they had perceived it to us to be. Um, and it didn't always feel like we were doing a good job. And a lot of the times I know I was asking to do more than just squash guys. Um, cause I know there came to a point where we both just said, fuck it. And we just went out and we did whatever the hell we wanted to do. That was silly. Um, in five minutes. Because when they just keep giving us these matches on NXT all the time, we're like, oh, like, how many times can I do this? Like, how many things do we got to think of? Like, how many different ways can you do a, you know, a five-minute match um, with guys that you don't necessarily know? Um, and I mean, it's funny now. I saw QT Marshall uh, at WrestleCade a couple weeks ago, and he used to be a guy that he would put us over all the time. He would get brought in as an extra and he would get put in ascension matches. And I just remember thinking like, damn, man, how many times do we got to do this to you? Like, this isn't fair. Like, this isn't, this isn't even fun right. for anybody, for anybody. Like there was him and there was another guy, uh, CJ O'Doyle, who um, I saw him at a company that we were working for here in Florida a few times last year. And I was like, man, it's good to see, like, he looks so much different now. If he had looked that way back then, we would not have been squashing him. The guy's like bigger than me now. He's a tank. So it was you know, it's cool like that, but it, it just seemed odd at the time. Like we were always, like I said, we were always fighting for stuff, always fighting to do more. And so like when we got that match with too cool, that was a super huge big deal for us. 
Um, and still, I don't know if it's still true, but at this, at that point in time, Scotty had said to me that I was the only one that ever stopped the worm. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and I like, I'd always, whenever I'd always see Brian afterwards, it was always cool. Cause we would always sit there and catch up and stuff. And then, uh, I mean, it, like, it was just wild. Like even when we showed up at WrestleMania the first time to see the way the people were reacting to us and stuff, we were just kind of blown away. Cause I think at the time we didn't have too much fan interaction. It was only, we'd go out to our match and then we were out again, you know, and it wasn't you know, a whole bunch of, I don't know, shaking hands and kissing babies type of thing. Um, but then at that first WrestleMania in New Orleans that we were at, I just remember me and Connor went out on Bourbon Street the one night to be like, oh, let's go check this out. And we got swarmed. And like you couldn't even walk out onto Bourbon Street. Uh, we'd have to keep running in and out of places. And I was like, I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> so, you guys are getting too big for your britches. Eh? A little bit, yeah. So it was, you know, it was crazy. I couldn't believe my hand was sore from signing autographs at Access and stuff like that. Wow. So, but yeah, like even those, those were long days because we'd do matches and then you'd go sign for a couple hours and then you'd come back and do another couple matches and then you'd go sign again. Like it was... Very long days. They uh, they definitely got their money's worth out of us. So with you guys, though, it's like, okay, you're over in NXT, to, you know, obviously over to the crowd. You're signing thousands of autographs. When did they make, like, the call-up? Or, like, how do they make the call-up? Is it like Johnny H? It's like, okay, these guys are over. We're going to bring them up. There's Triple H, too. Like, how do you guys get called up? No, apparently Hunter had been trying to get it done for a while. Um, like we, Hunter was like a big help to us a lot. Like whenever he came down, he was always super cool and would sit with us and we would kind of talk about stuff. And I guess after the first couple takeovers, I can't remember exactly which match it was. Uh, it might've been one with the Lucha Dragons or something, but I guess he goes, well, Vince was finally watching and he says he gets it. So we're finally oh, going to break it. Yeah. And we were like, oh, cool. So he's like, yeah, you guys are coming up. But then they showed us the picture with the gear and the silly face paint. And I was like, oh, shit. We're done. So who decides that, though? That part of it. <sighs> I mean, they they called it creative services. I don't right, know. Right. I don't know whoever came up with that. I know that there is a department for it. I think yeah. I maybe at one point in time met one person from creative services. And I probably threatened to strangle them. Um <laughs> But I couldn't tell you who that was even. And it, I can't even remember if that's like proper story or if it was somebody who went to uh, Titan Towers and was like, oh, I saw creative services. I saw you guys' pictures there or something like that, whatever it was. But Vince is the one that signs off on it in the end. And that was what he wanted. So that was what he got. Don't you think by doing that, it kind of kills the ascension and what you guys were all about and kind of makes you a little hokey, a little, little bit, uh, you know, not with the times. It, maybe if that's the 80s, maybe it works, but I don't know. Do you think that killed the gimmick right then and there? Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, I took a look at the pictures and I used to, I like when I lived with Tyler Breeze, we always had various different opinions on everything. And so I remember I took it home and I went, he was like oh what was the meeting about today what was the meeting about i was like well i guess we're going up and he's like yeah that's awesome and i was like really take a look at this and i showed him the picture and he's like oh man you guys look so cool and even then i was like that's not a good sign to me yeah like <laughs> uh he liked battleship the movie uh, <laughs> you know things like yeah, that. yeah so i mean it just was what it was like it really 
I mean, I didn't feel cool the first time we walked through the hallway and that stuff. Um, we didn't know how to do the face paint at first. Uh, we had to get the makeup ladies to kind of teach us and show us how. Like, and they didn't want to do it at first. There was one day like we were trying to do it, and I can remember the writers came into the locker room and they were like, "How's the paint looking?" And they looked at us and they go, "Who the hell did you paint?" And they're like, "Well, we did." And they're like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, come on now!" And they just took us to the to the makeup chairs and made the ladies do it for us. And so eventually, we learned how to do it, but. Like I, I didn't like the style of it. I kept trying to change it. He kept trying to change it. And then we'd get yelled at because, you know, they were like, well, that's not your brand. And then we're like, no, it actually is our brand. But like, you made it look stupid. So like, we're trying to make it not look stupid. And it was a no-go. It was a no-go at every, every way, shape, and form at yeah. that point in time, you know? And fans used to always ask us, like, why are they doing this? Like, this sucks. And like... At the time, I kind of justified it as they wanted us to be heels. And I just said, well, are you guys mad? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, good. Then be mad when we come out and let them know. Right. So, but, I mean, it doesn't doesn't always work out the way you want it to. So that's, you know, that's all part of the things that, that we struggle with in the business. So It's crazy. You guys debut. You basically Royal Rumble. You beat the New Age Outlaws, legendary tag team. And then all of a sudden from there, it's like, eh, like flounder, which is crazy because from NXT, loved watching you guys. Like one of the highlights of the show. I know sometimes, like you said, it's only five minutes, but basically one of the highlights of the show, go up to the main roster. They kind of make you hokey and you think you're getting a good push and then it just wavers. It's, I don't know. It it always happens. It seems like that's why uh, the struggle is is so correct because it always Uh, happens. NXT high point and you get to the main roster and it's like, yeah, they don't know what they're doing creatively. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just, it's two completely different regimes as much as they wanted it to all be one. uh, It was definitely not. And just Vince sees things a completely different way. Um, And I, I mean, that's the best answer I've got on that one. Because, like, honestly, we weren't the first ones that it happened to, and we were not the last ones that it happened to. So, like, if anything, I'm just like, well, at least I know it wasn't just us, you know. But it's it's just wacky land. Like, uh, they got so much talent uh, that they don't know what to do with it. And uh, I think just at the end of the day, if you're not one of – I don't know Vince's favorites or something like that. If you're not already somebody generating the company a ton of money, it's easy to just kind of like look you over and say, ah, we'll move on to the next toy. You know, and at that point in time, it was funny when we first came up, we were Vince's shiny new toys and I think we were tarnished in a month. So it didn't, it didn't take too long. And at the same time, we kept trying to prove ourselves over and over again with every opportunity that we were ever given. And it was funny because it would always feel like we started to get a little traction with something where we'd kind of catch his eye again and then he'd just forget about us the next week again. So it just seems like it's like a never ending cycle. Even Keith Lee, they bring him up, they completely change him, and he, you know, he looks weird. The, you know, what I mean, Killer Cross, they give him a weird mask. It, I don't know, yeah. just like never ending with the WWE. I mean, it blows me away. Like, it's like they don't learn from their mistakes. I like, and I, I don't understand it because, like, they told. One of Hunter's favorite things that he used to tell us was like, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and you're not succeeding, that's insanity. Like, and if you just keep trying to do it, that's insane. Well, that's exactly what the company is doing. <laughs> like, it's it's literally insane. So, like, I, I don't know how many guys you're going to send out there to look ridiculous 
I mean, if that's all it is, you're just sending him out to look ridiculous and let him go, then why did you pay him money and give him a push to begin with somewhere else? Like it's waste of TV time. hundred percent. Like it's just insane to me. And I, I don't know the logic behind it. The logic behind it could just be that there is no logic behind it. I don't know. There could be other things that go on with guys too nowadays. Like, I don't know. I've heard stuff about COVID and whatnot, but I, I don't know if that has to do with, with those guys. It certainly doesn't make any sense why you'd change somebody's look, um, you know, when they've already established themselves as characters. Like that was the thing, like NXT, I felt like for a lot of us was like our evolution. You know, you'd start out as fresh faced whoever on NXT and you would evolve into, you know, who you'd become. And so that way, by the time you're on the main roster, you didn't have to like redo yourself. But then right. it seemed like everybody that they brought up at that time was just like, we're going to completely redo you the way you look and make you something different. And you're like, well, why the fuck did I just spend five years working my ass off, chiseling myself into what I am now? You know, like it's, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I still, I'll never forget watching Neville walk into the locker room. Uh, with the cape and the one of the dumbest masks I've ever seen in my life. And that was what they told him. And we were like, what the fuck is this? You know, like he almost quit that day. So it's crazy. They just, I don't know what it is. It's like they have an idea, but we already saw it be successful. Like Killer Cross, the entrance is great. Scarlet looks great. He looks yeah. great. He had cool music. And it's like, no, nah, we don't like any of that. We're going to change it all. It's like, what? Keith Lee had cool music, even. I remember in NXT, and then he comes to the main roster. And they like made it some generic thing. I don't know. Just you're like you're right. It's insanity. Some of the yeah. stuff they do. Yeah, like I don't. That's the thing. I just, I, those are the questions we're always asking ourselves afterwards, and I don't know anybody that has any answers for them. So, with them and like you guys, the cosmic wasteland comes up with Stardust. I obviously Cody Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Like, are you thinking like, okay, maybe they'll do something with this here? Or are you thinking like, okay, this is another thing. It's not going to work. Um, no, actually we were really excited to do that because that was when it seemed like they started to do stuff, uh, again at that point, like, and it was a lot of fun. Um, working with Cody was always awesome. Like even when we were doing the Cesaro section and stuff like that, it was, it was always fun. Like it was something that kept us laughing and kept us creative and Cody was always so good, um, about everything. He was on top of everything all the time, like social media, all that sort of stuff. And he would just always do everything he could to include us in on stuff. He always had ideas. We were always cutting promos in the star room and all this sort of stuff. So it seemed really great. And I think he just um, started getting pushback. um, Like I know that was kind of his last point within the company where he finally said, fuck it. And he left. Um, because like there was a lot of times he blew up um, at producers and other people because of the way things were being handled. Like he just, and he, rightfully so, he's very justified in the fact that he was not being used properly and that we were not being used properly and that nothing that the company was doing was benefiting him or anybody else. And like it was... So that was kind of hard because we were like, no, we agree with you. And at the same time, we weren't about to go yell at a producer because uh, we weren't Cody Rhodes, but Cody would. <laughs> but right, at the same, you know, because he was upset, he was very passionate about what he was doing and he'd already been banging his head against the wall doing a gimmick that he didn't want to do. You know, that was something that Vince told him he had to do. And as far as I'm concerned, he blew it out of the water. He took it 10 times further than probably Vince even thought he would go because he delved right into it he gave everything he had to that character and 
I think WWE or even wrestling in general, it, it's a place where like you can do that and you will never get back what you feel like you deserve. Um, and that's just the nature of wrestling. Unfortunately, like wrestling is a super hard business. It doesn't actually owe us anything. It doesn't owe any of us anything. Um, we're all lucky to just be able to get in it and live our dream more or less, but that's a hard thing to take because as a performer, man, your ego really says, somebody give me what I want. Somebody give me that, you know, um, satisfaction to know that I'm doing a good job. And when you're somebody, especially like Cody, who you have millions of fans everywhere telling you that you're awesome every week and Vince isn't buying it, you're not going to take that shit anymore. Right. And obviously it worked out for him pretty good. Yeah. Bet on himself and get the hell out of there. Exactly. Yeah. So like we were kind of there for that. Um, but man, I loved all that cosmic wasteland stuff. Like that was so much fun. Even when I look back, there's one picture that they did for one of our pay-per-view matches where it was like the Lucha dragons, uh, and Neville against us. And it was just like all comic drawn and stuff. And like, when we saw that, we were like, Oh man, they're actually going with this. They're actually getting into this. Like, this is going to be cool. And then, yeah, they threw it all away. Could have made like comic books or cartoons or something like, Oh yeah. They could have done a ton of stuff with us. Like even we used to get the Mattel guys backstage sometimes and they're like, Hey, we want this or that from you guys. And we're like, yeah, we're not allowed to wear that anymore. So, and no. And then they're like, well, we got this ideas for you guys. We got this ideas for you guys. And we'd be like, can we take you to talk to somebody right now? And they're like, well, yeah, we'd love to. And then we'd try and we'd get pulled away. Like an agent would come over and be like, oh, we need you guys for this right now. And it just, it would never happen. But it was funny because everybody else that does stuff for the company that generates money, the company didn't seem to give a shit what their opinion was. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Weird environment and atmosphere. It is. It's a very bizarre environment because nobody really has any answers for why. So, and like, it'd be easy to just say, well, it's all Vince, but I'm sure it's not all Vince. I'm sure there's something else behind everything. Were you surprised when you got the release? Like, no. what, where is, or were you happy? Oh, I was happy. I was very happy. I'd already been sitting at home for almost a year waiting for it. Uh, and I was just sick and tired of being under their thumb, more or less. Um, I mean, at that point in time, I knew I wasn't going back. Um, I was, I just felt completely disrespected. Both me and Connor both felt completely disrespected from our treatment, especially at that point in time. And, uh, it made perfect sense to me that, you know, the day after I think they'd wished me happy birthday, uh, that they would call me and release me. So, <laughs> but yeah, I was more than happy to be gone. Uh, I was tired of being controlled or worrying about what, you know, if for whatever reason, suddenly they were just like, hey, we want to bring you back to do this stupid idea. And I would have to say, no, I don't want to because I was burnt out. Like I was so sick of just going to work there all the time. Like I honestly didn't want to go to work. And it was a pretty shitty feeling because like when you're living your dream and you, you know that you're lucky, you know what I mean? Like there was not a single doubt in my mind of how lucky I was to be able to do what I was doing every day. But I started to hate it, like as if I was working at McDonald's and, you know, didn't want to work at McDonald's anymore. Um, but I just, I would constantly have to remind myself how lucky I was to get on a plane to go to work, how lucky I was to be staying in a hotel to go to work to do what I was doing, you know, all these things. And then I would get to whatever I had to do that day or not do. And I was like, oh, this just sucks. And I was really tired of feeling that way. So by the time the release came, I was more than happy to step back and step away and just actually take a break. So 
it's one of those things where it's like, okay, great start in NXT for the most part, as far as like me being a fan, watch like, oh, the Ascension's great. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to get into the roster. And it's like, eh, you know what I mean? It's like you hand somebody this great yeah. piece of, uh, I don't know, a great piece of metal or something. They drop it and they break it. It's like, oh, yeah. geez. You know, that yeah. seems like that's the way. I mean, like I said, we weren't the first and we weren't the last. So it's yeah. one of those things where at least I know it wasn't just us. It's just kind of the system in general. There's something wrong with it. And I, I, I mean, I wish I had the answers to fix it, but I don't, you know, and I'm not the only one. So when you really kind of look back at the WB run, you like you said, you're happy to go, but it was one of those things where it's like, uh, like anything regretful or anything it's like, oh, I wish I would have did this different. I wish this could have been done differently or, or no regrets looking back. I mean, I had one regret of our debut and I actually talked to Kane about it one day. Um, just telling him how I didn't think our debut was handled properly. And I did everything in my power politically correct wise to kind of say that that day, except for going to Vince and bringing that up to him. And when I talked to Kane about it, he just went, you know what? It's not worth beating yourself up over because it, maybe it might've changed something, but it might not have changed anything for the better because you just, you don't know. And he goes, it's gone. It's past. You just kind of got to let it go. And I was like, you're right. I, that was kind of the only thing I regretted. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate to me that like we didn't get to be featured in the way that we should have been with certain teams. Like we yeah. always loved working with the Usos. We had a ton of good matches with them, but you barely ever saw them on TV. Um, I mean, even on SmackDown, when we had like when we all got uh, drafted over there, we had one of the best tag divisions I've ever been a part of, and they just couldn't get it on TV. They they would only put, you know, whoever the champs were on. Um, they'd get a five minute segment, and everybody else would kind of just get shoved to the side because the show just didn't have time. Uh, meanwhile, we were working some really awesome live event matches every week, like week in and week out. And I mean, we were really proud because at first when they did the draft uh, and started splitting the live events, the SmackDown ones were not big. Like there was some days where like we went out in arenas and went, Oh boy, this is not full. This is the exact opposite of full. (laughs) And after about a month or two of that, all of a sudden they were full and all of a sudden SmackDown's ratings started going up and you know, giving credit to like Road Dog and the writing team, they had designed that roster built around the fact that they knew that that was going to happen. And so that was pretty cool when we started to see that. Um, it was just unfortunate again that we didn't get to do more on TV. But like there was one day <laughs> I was standing on the ring apron looking at uh, us, the VOD villains, and the headbangers. And across the ring was the Spirit Squad, uh, um, Gable and. Um, Jason Jordan and then the Usos and I was like this is really weird this is really weird and surreal I'm, I'm not sure what's going on here you hell know. of a lot of good talent uh, past present and future there yeah yeah, yeah 100% and so there's you know we had a lot of fun um, there was a lot of that despite all the you know shit I might talk about everything else but like uh, I remember those times a lot really fondly and I'm glad that I got to do that I'm glad I got to travel the world with a lot of those guys um like I said, when we did that split, I don't know what it was, but we got such a good crew that even the people we weren't kind of close to at first, like we got pretty close to them. So it was, it was really awesome. And like, I'd never trade any of my experiences for the world. You know, I, nothing's perfect ever. So, I mean, I could sit here and 
I don't know, regret a ton of things, but it's not really worth it to me. I regret that I wasted more time being miserable and angry about stuff when I could have done something else with my time. Now, as we hit the wind down, head towards the finish, what's next? What do you got? Podcast? Are you doing the awakening, which is really the ascension? You guys getting back out there? Yeah, we've been doing uh, shows here and there and stuff like that. We've been a little bit busier again this month. Like, it's funny. It's kind of just been hit and miss. Like, we were pretty busy over the summer. And then uh, we had just, I don't know, almost two months off, maybe. Not quite. I don't know. I don't mind. I like not doing anything. And I like wrestling, too. So it's funny how it works out. But that's kind of why I started doing the podcast was I wanted... I just, like I said, it was sitting in me and I just knew I had to do something when I was like, this is an idea that won't go away. I actually kept trying to make it go away. And every morning I'd sit here and be like, oh, these ideas keep popping into my head. And that's what I've been waiting for, for a long time. Like, I know if I sit here and focus on something, I'll figure it out. But I I kept pushing the idea of it away and it just wouldn't leave me alone. So that's kind of, so now, you know, I do that. And uh, other than that, we still do our shows and stuff. Like we're coming up, let's see, on uh, December 16th, we're going to be in Queens, New York for Outlaw Pro Wrestling. And then I'm not sure what our dates are after that because I'm not doing anything over the holidays until they're done because I don't want to go to an airport or go anywhere in the frozen north during winter. So, (laughs) yeah. Now, please give us all the plugs where uh, everybody can find you and even find the uh, podcast. Okay, well, so you can find me at both on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Vic underscore the underscore Space Lord. That's the one with the blue check mark. And so even Wrestling with the Struggle, it's available on Apple and Spotify everywhere and on Anchor FM. So that's where that is. And I don't have any social set up for that yet because I'm just using my own since I just got it started. Um, but yeah, anything like that out there, I know you can leave me voice comments on anchor somehow. I haven't quite figured that out yet, but I'm going (laughs) to pop that into the show this week. And basically anybody that wants to shoot me a DM with their struggle of the day, or I'm going to put in a Q and a period. If anybody wants to do that, just shoot me a DM with uh, hashtag WWTS and I will probably put it in the show. So I'm just looking for all sorts of different stuff to do. You know, like I really want to focus on people's stories. I'm hoping uh, this week, I'm just, I might've heard back from him by now today, but I'm hoping to get a buddy of mine who I'd known from OVW who, um, he just had a bad, bad issues with concussions. And so he's somebody I really want to talk to on the show about that and just kind of dive into that. Cause I, you know, I've seen a lot of guys deal with that and it's not, it's not easy. That's one of the scarier things I've had to actually watch a bunch of my friends deal with over the years. And it's something that like, we're only just kind of like learning more and more about as we go along. So, you know, I want to, want to be able to touch on stuff like that. And, um, you know, then I think I'm going to have some of my buddies from a band on, they just put out an album. And, uh, so we'll talk about the struggles in, you know, music and traveling and all the other fun stuff. You know what I mean? There's struggles everywhere. And that's really what I'm trying to do is just share a little bit of our wrestling and entertainment life and transfer it over to everybody else's real life because it's all more or less the same. We all like anybody I've said like, oh, politics, blah, 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 this kind of thing. Like it all ties in. It's all the same. I just think a lot of people don't get to see the, you know, the behind the scenes struggle that a lot of people go through because when they put it on TV, they make it look real shiny. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. But Vic, thank you so much uh, for all the time. Everybody check out the podcast, Wrestling With The Struggle. Thank you so much, Space Lord. Really appreciate all the time. (laughs) Thanks, John. I appreciate it too, man. It's been good talking to you. 
This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.